Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Well, we're going to uh, start with the Word of God today. Um, Again, it's a privilege I have to be sharing the Word of God with us this morning. Um, if you're watching online and you're not familiar with our church, we typically go through books of the Bible, verse by verse or chapter by chapter, and that's uh, what we call expository preaching and expositional preaching, and, and we, that's the way we typically do it. We just finished the book of Romans that we spent almost uh, all the last year. On it, we're about to start Revelation, but so, uh, from time to time, we take little breaks and we do uh, t- topical preaching, and this is what I'm doing. I, I, was preach- I preached last week uh, on the topic of Jesus as the mystery who was revealed to us, the mystery that was hidden from ages and revealed to us now, based on Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, and today we're going to continue that um, same text, but we're going to talk about or emphasize uh, another title that Paul gives Jesus on, on that text, which is Jesus as the hope of glory. So if you were not here last week, I just want to uh, give you a little bit of a recap so that um, so you, you know what's happening. So if you, if, you, uh, if you go with me to Colossians chapter 1, we're not going to read it yet, but you can just open your Bible there. We're gonna, uh, we were in chapter 1, verse 24 to 27 last week. Um, Paul refers to Jesus as the mystery that was hidden from ages, or for ages. And we talked about how much of a privilege we have now as his saints to have this revelation given to us. We talked about how the mystery, the person of of Jesus was purposely hidden. Uh, People did not understand who the Messiah was going to be, and that was part of the plan that God had for his people. So, for for example, Moses and Abraham and uh, all the big heroes of the Old Testament, they had clues or glimpses of who the Messiah was going to be, but they were not allowed, they were veiled to see who the real Messiah was going to be. In fact, some of Jesus' disciples were veiled, and we talked about how when Jesus is walking on uh, Luke chapter 24 with some of his disciples in the, on the road of Emmaus, and then he later on appears to all, this, all his disciples, Jesus opens their eyes to finally see who he is and goes through the Bible to talk about the Messiah and him being the fulfillment of that. So this is a privilege that we, we have. We also talked about how the plan of salvation always included the Gentiles, meaning us, Americans, Mexicans, Asians, all kinds of people. It, the, the, the plan that God had to redeem people or to save people was not just exclusively for the Jews. And that was another revelation that was part of this mystery. But today, Paul moves on to call Jesus the hope of glory. And that's what, what, what I want to talk about this morning with us. So before we read our text for this morning, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I, I pray today that you will 
open our eyes. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us. Lord, we know that in, on our strength, on our capacity, we can't fully comprehend your word. And I pray that today, by your grace, you will allow us to see the magnificence of who you are, the greatness of your work, and mostly that your word will bring conviction, that will confront us, but at the same time that it will comfort us and that, that will bring hope to all of us here. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, 29. And it reads like this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to, for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of, 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 of the Lord. So it is already clear that salvation is now available to all of us. We are Gentiles, we, unless you are a Jew, but I am not a Jew, so I am thankful for that blessing. Uh, I am saved by, and you are saved too, by or through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and Paul makes an assertion that is important to highlight. And what Paul clearly tells us is that this mystery, this, this Jesus, the work of Jesus, has not only been revealed to us in a cognitive way. We don't only know or understand Jesus and his work rationally. We have actually received it, and that mystery is now in us. If you notice, Paul says that the mystery is now in us, inside of us. But before we move on to, uh, to explain a little bit more about this, I just want to remind you that when Paul talks about Christ, to the Colossians specifically, he is talking to someone that he just described less than a few, a few verses before. So let me read the description that Paul gives the church in Colossae of who Jesus is. This mystery that now dwells or indwells them is in them is described as Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through and for him. Can you imagine Jesus is the one that created everything. Everything was created through him and for him. Then he continues to say in verse 17, 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the description of the one that is now in us. This is the person that is now inside of us. And in fact, Paul will later say that he no longer lives. It's Christ who lives where? In him. We need to understand that our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is inside of us. It's in us. He dwells within us. That's my first point. Jesus, our Savior, is in us, is in you. This means that we don't only need to understand him rationally or from a distance. We don't only need to apply our academic uh, um, uh, abilities. We need to understand that he is a God who is close to us. He wants to come in contact with us. He lives within us. He is intimate with us. He's close to you. He is in you. And it, this is important to highlight because in, in many cases, or for many people, Christ has become a concept. Jesus became something you believe in. A conviction, a good idea, a religion, something you do, something you know, something you, you believe in. But the reality is that Jesus is not a concept. Jesus is not something you believe in. Jesus is a person that lives in you. He is God himself Dwelling inside of you always. He is in fact in you. Paul calls the Corinthians to examine themselves because they don't realize this. And in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, listen to what Paul says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Paul is asking the Corinthian church to examine and realize that Christ is in you. We are not Christian because we know about him. We are not Christian because we come to church and meet Jesus here every Sunday. We're not even Christian because we understand that he hears our prayers or that he loves us from a distance, or, that, or because he died on a cross for us. No, we're Christians because God has revealed to us that he chose to save us from before he made the universe, and now he is in us. He is with us. He is walking with us. He is living with us. He is sleeping with us. He eats with us. He is with us, in us, and that is amazing. We cannot just adhere to the teachings of Jesus. We have to have him inside of us. And he chose you to be with him. Pastor and theologian Sam Storm says the following. The mystery is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is now in you. That is, Gentiles who believe in him. He lives and abides in you, not merely with you or with you or beside you or above or below you, but in you. Jesus lives in, with, inside of us, in us, always. 
And we need to hear this as we begin this new year. This mystery hidden for, for ages that Jesus came to save us will be with us for this coming year and forever. He is with you always. And then Paul moves on to, now that he made sure we understood that he is in us, he comes and he says that he is, in verse 27, the, the hope of glory. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does, what does, does this mean for us? What does Jesus as our hope of glory mean? And in order to respond what that is, we need to understand that the Bible uses the word glory in different ways. So, for example, uh, if you remember in the Old Testament, the word glory was usually sort of like a splendor or a spectacular display of the majesty of God, uh, uh, like the presence of God falling on the temple and people couldn't even like get up and everybody was trembling. Or you know how he surrounded the mountain when he was giving Moses the, the tablets and people were not even allowed to get close because they could die. That's sort of like some of the imagery that the, the Old Testament uses for the glory of God or in Exodus when, when God appears to Moses. All of those are things that we can call the glory of God. But this is not what Paul is necessarily talking about. Another way that the glory of God is used in, in the Bible is, is uh, to talk about honoring God. You know, to give God glory. When we give God glory, as in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 or Colossians 3, that, that tell us to do things for God's glory, to honor him or to praise him, to give him Glory, but Paul is not talking about that kind of glory when he talks about Jesus, the hope of glory. Jesus himself is also called the glory of God. In Hebrews 1, he is called the radiance of the glory of God. And there are several meanings of, uh, for the word glory. But what Paul is trying to get to here is glory as in our salvation. Glory as in eternity. Glory as in eternal life. The Bible uses the language of glorification as the ending point of our salvation, meaning this is the point where we are finally in the presence of God. And that's the kind of glory that Paul is talking about. Jesus is our hope of glory. Paul is talking about the day in which we will share in the glory that is to come with him. So in other words, but this is my second point, Jesus is our only hope of glory, of salvation. Paul is saying that Jesus is the only hope, our hope, for glorification. And this is not something new that Paul is saying. He's reaffirming the exclusivity of Jesus as the means for salvation. Paraphrasing a little bit, Paul is saying that this plan of redemption that God had from the beginning is only exercise executed through Jesus. Jesus is our only hope of eternal life. Jesus is our only hope of eternal joy. Jesus is our hope of eternal and everlasting joy. And again, we need to hear this over and over again because we forget that this mystery, this Jesus, is the only one who gives us the hope of glory. Gives us the hope of the life that we desire. Gives us the hope of the joy that we desire. Gives us the hope of the, of the things that we desire the most. 
And like the Colossian, the Colossian church, us constantly forget that that glory that the humans, the human beings seek is only found in Jesus. The fulfillment, the happiness, the peace, the joy that we seek in this world is only found in Jesus. And he is our hope of entering or experiencing this glory. And this is important to understand. Sometimes we believe, when we talk about salvations, uh, salvation, sometimes we just think of a future time when we go to heaven. We just think of that moment when we die and everything is going to end and now everything is going to start to be okay. So right now I just need to stay here and suffer and try to make it to heaven. And, but the reality is that when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about a process that begins in, in, in us during this time on earth. And we have glimpses and we can experience some of these blessings that God has given to us through salvation now and today as well. So when, when the Bible offers us glory and the Bible offers us joy and peace, it's not something that we're going to get just in eternity. It's also something that we can experience right now. Jesus is our hope of those glories. Some of, some, sometimes we can experience glimpses of this glory here today. And we need to understand that Jesus is our hope of those glories now and later. Sam Storms continued to say that it doesn't just refer to something we will get later. It's something that we have now, and that is Jesus himself. Christ is not simply the reason we can hope for glory but Christ himself, or Christ is himself, that glory. And we can have Jesus now. In fact, he lives in you. God cares about our today and our tomorrow. In fact, he has given us already peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit is with you, within you, you can experience some of these things. I had um, uh, somebody send me a text this past week, Pastor Eli from Doxa in Mexico City, and he told me that one of the members of our of, uh, Doxa church um, went to Veracruz. The, the, guy, the guy's name is Nazareth, and um, he went to Veracruz. Veracruz is a city... Um, in the west of Mexico, uh, and he went just for the holidays to visit his family in Veracruz. Nazareth works in uh, colleges around Mexico City, preaching the word with International Fellowship of Students. And he went back to his family. His family has always rejected the gospel. None of his family members are Christian. He's the only one that's Christian. He went back, and he and his family were driving on a highway, and they were ambushed by uh, a cartel, and they were gunned down. And he, he told me, uh, Nazareth is in the hospital with his mom, and his brother passed uh, in, in the scene of the crime. And I was devastated. He was in my community group. He is somebody that I had the privilege to baptize, of baptizing. And it was, it was horrible. And um, I tried to get in contact with him or send him a text, but he wasn't responding. Later on, we found out that he's fine, that he didn't get a, a, a bullet, just uh, had a superficial wound. But his mom is also stable. His, his, his father 
wasn't touched, but he's now super busy with all the things that need to be done. But what I want to tell you is that it was, it was incredible because he, Nazareth, sent a text message to the whole church. And he said that he was at peace. And that he was at peace because this was the first time he was able to preach the word to his family. And some of them actually actively listened and didn't reject him. And he's in the hospital. Something horrible just happened to him. And his text, tell everyone in the church, I am at peace. I'm okay. And unless you have the Holy Spirit within you, there's no way that you can be at peace. Those are not words of somebody who is by themselves, left in their own abilities. We have Jesus living in us and the Holy Spirit within us that provides that kind of peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that is available to us because Jesus is our hope of glory. And it's not just a future glory. It's a glory that we can have now. Even though it's not perfect and it's in the midst of suffering and in the midst of a fallen world because of sin, we can experience some of those glimpses of glory. We can experience joy in suffering. We can experience peace in the midst of tragedy. We can experience strength in the midst of a crazy year. We can experience glory because we have Jesus. And it's all because of his grace. It's all because of what he did for us on the cross. When we talk about experiencing joy, peace, fulfillment, and love, we usually think of the result of our labor. We usually think of the fruit of our work. Especially here in America, it's you earn the things that you have. If you want to rest, then you have to work hard in order to rest. If you want to achieve something, you have to put the work, and then you have to, and, and not only in America, but this is a society that highlights those things. But when we talk about this rest or, or this peace or this glory or this hope that we have in Jesus, we are not talking about anything that you can do to earn it. We are not talking about the fruit of your hard work or the fruit of your cognitive uh, understanding of Jesus or your theology. We're not talking about how much you deserve it because you have served God or you have been in, in the church since you were little. No, we're talking about God's grace provided on the cross for us without deserving it, that now we can achieve or obtain, I'm sorry, this grace, this peace, this joy that Jesus gives us freely by God's mercy. Everything that has been given to us, this hope of glory, this hope of, of, of salvation that God gives us is by mercy, is by grace. He forgives us, he welcomes us into his family, he loves us, he sustains us. And this is amazing because we didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, it's called grace because we don't deserve it. And we forget that all that God has given to us in Jesus is amazing. We get caught up in the problems and the grind of life and we forget that we have a hope. We have a God that has given us so much. And I want to spend some time reminding us what is it that God has given to us. There's a famous psalm that if you've been a Christian long enough, you, you already know it. 
And it's David basically commanding his soul to remember everything that God has done for us. And I just want you to hear the hope of glory that we have and what he has done for us. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he says the following, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And as I read this, I want, I want to tell you, do not forget the benefits that you have in Christ Jesus as this year begins. Listen to what, this is, this is pre-Christ. This is David talking about what God did for him before Christ. He doesn't even understand what he's saying fully. And this is what he writes. David says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, for, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is mind-blowing. This is the hope of glory that we have. This is the revelation that God has given to us. Jesus is our only hope of salvation, both individually and also corporately. He saves us as his elect, his people. But the gift of Jesus, this amazing gift that we have, is not just for us to keep. To selfishly enjoy and indulge in all these blessings. He is also the hope of the world. He is also the hope for our neighbor. He is also the hope for whosoever believes. And Paul ends this chapter of Colossians, or this section of Colossians, telling us to precisely share all the blessings that we have been given with others. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, the chapter that we are studying today, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul reminds us not to keep this blessing of Jesus to ourselves. Because Jesus is a hope for salvation. But Jesus is their hope of salvation as well. I, I have noticed that Christianity has become something that you enjoy. Something that it's about you. Something that enhances you. If you turn on, you know, televangelists or Christian television sometimes. Some of the networks out there. It's all about you. It's all about your 
your life and how to live your life or your best life now or how to have a better marriage or how to have more income or how to uh, sow a seed so that God can give you more money. And what Jesus is telling us today is that it's not necessarily all about you. Yeah, there there are a lot of blessings for us, definitely. But it's not for us to keep. It's for us to share. And sometimes as Christians, we fail at sharing these blessings that we have with the world, with people around us. And it reminds me, I'm usually I have a minivan and I'm driving and I have four children. So sometimes we pass a snack for everyone to share. And guess what happens? The first one keeps it. And then we're fighting and yelling at everybody. And it just happened two days ago. I don't know why my kids are into seaweed snacks. Have you seen those little boxes that have like the flat seaweed with salt? They like those things. I don't know why, but anyway. So somebody gave us a box, and we passed it, and like immediately they just start fighting. Because the, the, the guy who got, grabs it, usually Joel, the oldest one, doesn't want to give it to everybody else. And Paul is saying, all these blessings that you have, they're not just for you. They're not just for you to be like, wow, Jesus is so amazing to me. No. It's for others. Because Jesus is also their only hope of salvation. It's not all, Jesus is not only your hope of salvation. Jesus is also their hope of salvation. And we have to share these blessings with the world. We have to proclaim him. We have to take this mystery to others. And just like I just told you about Nazareth... There's people who are suffering around you too. There's people who spent Christmas and New Year's at the hospital. There's people who lost a loved one during this time. And there's more that, I mean, over 350,000 people have lost their lives this past year. And then we don't know how many more are coming. The, the people around you also need the hope of Jesus. They also need the supernatural peace just to make it another year. They also need the supernatural joy that only comes from God. And it's not from this world. They need that too. And it's not just for you to boast about how amazing this God is. It's for you to share how amazing this God is and pass it on to others. Jesus offers hope for everyone. Jesus offers hope for now and eternity to everyone who believes in him. His salvation offers sinners forgiveness of sin. He offers grace and mercy to rebellious and evil people like you and I and the people around you, like our neighbors and our friends, so that they can also receive the hope of glory. If you, if you read this, if you, if you paid, paid attention, in this, last, in this verse 28, there's three times that the word everyone is mentioned. We proclaim, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is a very explicit way to say, who are we supposed to share this hope of glory with? Everyone. Everyone. Warning everyone, teaching everyone so that everyone will be sanctified and presented mature in Christ. And what is it that we sometimes do? We keep it to ourselves. And the reality is that we have to take and proclaim this gospel to everyone. 
We proclaim Jesus because he is our hope and we want to share this hope with everyone. Um, theologian René Padilla says the following about, about this. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be called by him both to know him and to participate in his mission. He himself is God's missionary par excellence, and he involves his followers in his mission. I will make you fishers of men, Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus' mission involves fishing for the kingdom. In other words, when we proclaim the kingdom, we always call for repentance and conversion to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. A true disciple of Jesus is someone who is a fisher of men, someone who proclaims Jesus, someone who goes into the world and teaches people to repent, preaches the gospel to everyone, everywhere. And I feel like that is usually the hardest part to hear. We're all about hearing how good God is and his amazing blessings for us and how, we, how he sustains us and how he's a hope for this new year. And some of us even cry because this is amazing. But then we have to share and it's like, um, that's hard. I don't want to share. It's uncomfortable. Nowadays, he can even get you in trouble at work or at school or in other places. But that's part of our Christian life. You can't divorce Christianity from sharing Christianity. In fact, if you call yourself a Christian, it's because you are someone who proselytizes Christianity. That is part of our calling. That is the great commission. We have to do it. It's a struggle. Yes, it is a struggle. It will always be a struggle. It's not easy to call people to repent. It's not easy to tell people they are sinners. That's why a lot of people in Christianity are just becoming life coaches because it's all about changing your life. They want to avoid talking about sin and they want to avoid talking about repentance because those are not cool words to say. Preaching the gospel is difficult. Even as I, as I stand here and tell you this, it's hard. It's difficult. But this is what the Bible commands us to do. And this is what Paul tells the church to do. We must proclaim Jesus. Jesus sent us. But there's hope in that. Paul tells us in verse 29 the secret of his success. He was a very successful preacher of the word. Read with me verse 29. For this I toil. What is this? Taking the mystery of the, of the gospel to the Gentiles, proclaiming and warning and preaching the word of God. For this I toil, struggling, and this is very interesting, with all his energy. That doesn't make sense. Nobody struggles with somebody else's energy. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I know it's difficult to preach the word, and I know it's difficult to share what God has given to you, but it's not on your strength. We are selfish by nature, and we can't do it on our own. We don't do it in our strength. We don't share the word of God in our strength. And this is my last point.
As difficult as it is, proclaiming the gospel is something that we need to do in Jesus' strength, in strength by the Spirit. God has commanded us to go preach the gospel and make disciples, and it's hard, and he knows it, and he has given us all the tools to do it. And the biggest and best tool that he has given to us is his Holy Spirit. Acts 1, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. Do you want the power to share the gospel? Do you want to be able to get over your selfishness and share Jesus with others? You need the Holy Spirit. And that is available to us. But sometimes we go about our lives and we just get into the grind of things and we forget that we have help. And this not only applies to sharing the gospel with others. The reality is that the Holy Spirit, the power that he's talking about is available to us every day for all kinds of different things. The gospel brings us conviction. The gospel provides, the, the Holy Spirit brings us conviction. The, the, the Holy Spirit brings us joy. The, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit gives us the words that we need to say, even helps, helps us pray. The Holy Spirit is there for us. But we're in the grind of life so much that we forget that we have the Holy Spirit. And let me just tell you, if you're a Christian, if you were to rely or, or if we were to rely on the Holy Spirit more often, our lives would be a little better. We forget we have the Holy Spirit. It's like we're freaking out about everything else and we just totally ignore this amazing tool that God has given to us to preach the gospel and to do a lot of other things. It's like we live as if God doesn't exist. We live our daily lives as if the Spirit is not even there and He is with you. I remember one time I, I, I was going to an event and I, 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 was, I was running late because I'm Mexican, of course. And uh, I parked the car and I didn't turn the car on because I left. So I, I, was, I was in a rush. I left my car running. I opened the door. I don't know how it, I locked the door and I closed it, went inside. And I was like, I need to go back because my car is still running and there was people going in and there was a cop outside. So I run back and then I go like this and the car doesn't open. And I start freaking out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I looked around, and I'm like, anybody have? And people started helping me. Somebody gave me a coat, one of those wire hangers that people have in their cars. I don't know why. And, uh, and then somebody gave me a, a screwdriver. And I was already, like, like put, doing, the, doing the thing that you need to do, like opening the door, trying to open the door with a, with a wire hanger. And I was just freaking out. I wanted to do it as quick as possible. And then somebody just comes and opens the back door of my car. I was so freaked out and so stressed about everything that I didn't even think of, like, checking the other doors. And that's what happens to us. That's our Christian life. We're, like, going about our lives trying to do all these things and trying to survive. And I don't have enough time for this. And I'm always stressed. And I'm always anxious. I'm always this. And we forget that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that we can even ask to be indwelled or filled with the Holy Spirit. And God has given us this amazing help for us to use, to rely on. And this is what Paul used to do. That's why he says, I, I struggle with, I, I toil with all this stuff, but it's not in my strength. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. I toil with His energy. Are you struggling in your energy or are you struggling in 
God's energy. Because it's way easier to struggle with God's energy than your energy. I would like to finish by highlighting that our hope of glory, our Jesus has sent us the helper. That's actually his title. And Jesus said that it was going to be good for us for him to send it. So when you think of this hope of glory that we have, remember that God has not only given us the blessing of the revelation of Jesus, the blessing of Christ himself, the blessing of Christ living in us, and the hope of glory, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit who helps us to do his work and to join Jesus in his work. And he has done all, everything for us. He chooses us. He reveals his plan. This is a good God who does everything for us. And he commands us to give it to others, to share with others, and we should. And this is the kind of God we have, an amazing God who is with us, who is our hope of glory, who wants us to share this glory with others, and has given us his Holy Spirit to do it. And he deserves our worship. So as, as, I, as I wrap this up, I, I want to invite you this year, if you have resolutions, consider Depending more on the Holy Spirit. Consider depending more on Jesus, knowing more about him, more about who he is, and sharing it with others. Make it a resolution to, through the help of the Holy Spirit, preach the gospel to more people. You are not alone. Jesus is already in you, and you have every tool you need to share this hope of glory with the world. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you for the blessing that we have in knowing who you are, understanding that you have been sent to us to bring salvation to us. And Lord, I pray that we will not forget the Holy Spirit. I pray that he will remind us of your words. I pray that we will rely more on him. That he will even remind us of the hope we have in you. Lord, we thank you because every blessing that you, has given, you have given to us is not because of what we've done. It's not because we deserve it. It's, it's because you are good. I pray that this year that begins will be a year in which, in, in which we know more about you, we rely more on you, and we share the word of God and the gospel with others more. Help us be a church that is, a, a, is full of fishers of men who share the hope that you have given to us with the people around us, especially in a year of uncertainty, in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.